Welcome to Radioactive, a punk rock farmer Friday at that. I'm Laura Jones, and joining me via Zoom, we got Al Dine, Strict Nine, KRCL's punk rock farmer. Hey, Al, how you doing this week? I'm good. It's great to be here. I'm actually in the KRCL studio building. <laughs> You're in the pop-up <laughs> office, and I'm in my closet at my home studio, but this is how we make it work till... The new studio is wired, hopefully by the first of the year. And then, Al, you're going to have to start driving the bus. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So coming up on the show tonight is someone you've gotten to know over the course of doing this punk rock farmer stuff with me. Tell us who's coming up and, and why you're excited. We have a couple things. Um, the, Bob Quinn is with us. And a couple years back, we got to see him speak at the Farm and Food Conference down in Cedar City. And uh, we struck up a friendship, and he's wanting us to come visit him, Laura, if oh, we what? get a chance. <laughs> Let's road trip. I'm telling you, we'll broadcast, or at least we'll Zoom from there. He's the Kamut guy, the ancient grain guy. He's the ancient grain guy, but he's an organic guy who's been riding the train of organics since just the, be- the beginning. Well, back in the 80s, I think, sometime. And uh, also, we have Anna Cash with us, and I'm happy to have Anna. She's... She's a movie star now. She's got a TV show. What? What did that? What did that happen? Well, the cool thing is that over the winter, uh, folks can pick up some things to help them maximize their harvest, and she teaches canning classes. Yes. So that is Big pretty time. cool. Uh, pretty cool. So stick around for Skywatcher Leo T and his many cultures one Sky Report. We're going to check in with Jen Lopez from Clever Octopus because the two of us have been conspiring on this pretty cool workshop, Stretching Records, Aldine. So stick around for details on that. We're going to find out about a couple of pigs that need a new farm to live at and not where they will be eaten and more. So stick around for that. But first, let's start with some fresh and homegrown music, Al. Yes, today we have a racist Kramer with us. And these guys, have, we've been following them a little bit here and there. Every year, they have a new record, which is really cool. It came out in July, new for us. And we'll be playing some of that on the show. But every year they do a benefit gathering for Christmas, Friendsmas. Friendsmas. And uh, they've been doing it for 10 years. How are you guys doing today? CJ Coop. Hi, how are you? And Grayson. Hey. Good to see you guys. So who what's what are we focusing on this year? I know you guys help out. No, well, it's a nonprofit or it's an organization that's doing good in the community. Who is it this year? So the past couple of years, uh, we've stuck with the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. Uh, we used to switch um, and do a different cause or charity every year. But when they came on board, they just uh, blew us away with how uh, receptive they were and how organized and organized. Uh, willing to participate in what we are doing. And so we're going to stick with them henceforth. We think it's a good cause that hits home for us. And so uh, the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, you can come and learn about it. There's going to be resources there for people to find out about what they do and how they help people who have dealt with that. And so we just think that moving forward, Friendsmas is always going to have that deep, that deep rooted, meaningful cause. And this year, I think our goal is uh, five grand to raise, which uh, we weren't able to do it last year because of the pandemic. So we're hoping to just swing for the fence this year and just try to raise as much money for that cause as possible. And then we can get back to what we want to do next year for RK and trying to explore other markets. But we're looking forward to friends with everyone should come out. It's a lot of fun. We play a lot of music that, you know, our generation grew up with. We play 
bands like Blink-182 and Thrice and AFI, old punk rock the from the Warped era. So there's going to be something there for everybody, too. A lot of, a lot of good times. Punk rockers doing good stuff in the community with punk rock music. I love it. You know, it, it fits right in on the show here for sure. Um, exciting. You guys put out a new record this year. I mean, you haven't been resting on your laurels due to the pandemic and the situation of things. You guys have been writing music. Yeah, it, it was a really interesting process because of the pandemic. We were all kind of split up. We were still really cautious in the sense that we didn't want to be together. We didn't want to be exposing people to, to, you know, whatever we might be exposed to. And so we wrote a lot of this separately. Uh, like we, uh, CJ and I, for example, would come up with a riff or James, our bass player writes a lot of guitar parts as well. And we'd send it back and forth to each other. And we found this really cool way of working that actually showcased a lot of our individual ideas, which is not something we had really done before. Uh, so it ended up being, we're pretty proud of it. CJ actually was our main engineer, along with our good friend, Alex Guizueta, who did our drums. And it was really cool to put it together. But as we were kind of writing this, and I, I won't speak too much for CJ because CJ does all of our lyrics, but we kind of came up with this theme as in redemption, as this band has gone through so many ups and downs, mainly ups. And, you know, we're all really good friends. We all really like each other. But we started thinking about what does our band mean? What do we mean to the community? And we really just wanted to write a record that is us redeeming ourselves for anything that we've done and really bringing punk rock back into this community in a positive, good way. And I think as far as the, the lyrics go, CJ absolutely crushed it. He is an incredible lyricist. And along with, you know, the rest of the band, I think we put together something we're really proud of. Well, give us a few lines, CJ, of this first one as we go into it. So the, the whole record is deeply introspective. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things that touch on mental health. But this song in particular actually is sort of like a nihilistic uh, commentary on my own health because it's, it's written about sleep apnea and the possibility of just dying in your sleep. And what that can do in your relationships and people around you. And uh, it, it, it has sort of like a nihilistic tone, but it is sort of very sincere and it, it speaks for itself. I mean, the, the music's fast and loud and it's kind of hard to understand the lyrics, but they're out there if you want to find them. But like, like, like we said, we kind of built this whole record around the idea of just redeeming yourself for, for maybe missed opportunities or mistakes that you made in the past. And although I do write a lot of the lyrics, I drive a tremendous amount of inspiration from my bandmates. Cause I mean, we've, we've been in a band for 15 years now. So I, I know these guys like brothers and working on this record was tremendously fun and it brought us together more so than ever, but this is a sillier, but if you look at it from a real honest perspective, it is kind of like a, Sad song, but silly, you know. This one is Fighting for Air off the new record, In Redemption, from Racist Kramer, Fresh and Homegrown, on KRCL 90.9 FM.
Did you know that a portion of your Amazon purchases could benefit KRCL? Support local nonprofits, including KRCL, through Amazon Smile by visiting smile.amazon.com and selecting your preferred organization. Find details under the support tab at krcl.org. Thanks. Support for KRCL comes from the Mobile Moon Co-op, a female and queer collective and mobile apothecary offering handcrafted herbal products, teas, and cultural events and workshops. More information at mobilemooncoop.org or on social media platforms at Mobile Moon Co-op. It's many cultures, one sky. Skywatcher Leo T here. And solar system magic and interesting partial eclipse came up with the full moon. It was late Thursday night into Friday morning. Although it wasn't a total eclipse, it was the longest one of the century. During the eclipse, the Earth's shadow covers a large portion of the moon. Despite cloudy skies, the just after full moon is bright enough to see to the clouds at times, creating an interesting rare sight. It all started about midnight with the fullest coverage by 2 in the morning on Friday and retreating by late in the 3 o'clock hour. Conditions don't have to be perfect to feel the experience. Just go outside and experience it. According to the American Astronomical Society, a lunar eclipse happens when the sun, earth, and a full moon form a near-perfect lineup in space in what is known as syzygy. The moon is still high tonight in the east. You can still see it hanging in the twinkly Pleiades, Seven Sisters, Subtle Fainter Hyades, and Mandarin Orange Aldebaran, the Eye of the Bull. In other happenings, a close call as an asteroid narrowly misses the Earth on October 24th. The refrigerator-sized rock cruised over Antarctica just 1,800 miles from Earth. With this in mind, NASA's double asteroid redirection test, scheduled to launch on the 24th, will take the DART spacecraft hurtling into a near-Earth binary asteroid, which is shaped kind of like a spinning top. Scientists will then track the double asteroid to see if their attempts change the orbit. The idea, of course, being to knock that incoming asteroid out of its orbit and possibly from hitting the Earth. And this week in November, a couple of major space flights took place, Apollo 12 in 1969 and Gemini 12 in 1966. And general folks don't realize what amazing and space-breaking work was completed by the Gemini program. Long-duration space flights, learning how to orbit and rendezvous, using different capsules and other ships, which all led up to Apollo and the moon landings. Gemini 12, the final mission of Gemini, ended successfully on November 15, 1966, as astronauts James Lovell and Edwin Aldrin splashed down the Atlantic Ocean after spending four days in orbit. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's many cultures, one sky. From Susan Satan Boulay, what I am trying to say is hard to tell and hard to understand unless, unless you have been yourself at the edge of the deep canyon and have come back unharmed. Maybe it all depends on something within yourself, whether you are trying to see the water snake or the sacred cornflower. Whether you go out to meet death or to seek life. From Anne Morrow Lindbergh, we walk up the beach under the stars. And when we are tired of walking, we lie flat on the sand under a bowl of stars. This is what one thirsts for, I realize, for the magnitude and universality of a night full of stars pouring into one like a fresh tide. Skywatcher Leo T. Thank you, Leo. Many cultures, one sky. Check tonight's show notes for a link to all the sources on his latest report here as a volunteer contributor to Radioactive and Punk Rock Farmer Friday. All right, Aldine, Jen Lopez from Clever Octopus, the Creative Reuse Center over on West Temple in South Salt Lake, has been working with me to realize this crazy 
idea, Al. You know how you can take a record and you can melt it and it'll look like a clamshell, Al? Have you seen mm-hmm. those? Well, okay, that's great for kindergartners. <laughs> but I've been tracking this way to stretch them smoothly, turn them into nice bowls for your tabletop. But they're also natural amplifiers for your smartphone without any electricity needed or Bluetooth connection. So Jen Lopez is here from Clever Octopus on our Zoom session. And Jen, we are going to stretch records and uh, support Shop Small Saturday on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, which is that the 27th, I believe, from 1 to 3 p.m. Absolutely. We are so incredibly excited. Uh, Laura and I have been in the in the workshop cutting, sawing, building. Uh, Laura's learning how to use a table saw and a router and all sorts of other <laughs> stuff. And uh, every single time we've posted a picture or a video of this project, it gets massive enthusiasm for it. So much so that the 1 to 3 p.m. class is sold out. Wow. But we've added extra sessions. So we now have a 3 p.m. offering and a 4 p.m. offering. If those sell out, we'll keep adding them. Wonderful. But get signed up because they're going fast. Big thanks to Sarah Thornton, a KRCL volunteer. She helped us build a float a while back, Al. And I reached out and said, hey, are you interested? We could use a third on this. So she helped us design and build these jigs. And it's going to be a ton of fun. By the way, these are records that listeners donated, but they're the ones that nobody wants, or they're scratch and dents, or they're just the the sound has fallen out of favor, Al. But uh, <laughs> Jen and I are pretty excited. Um, you'll have to check our social media for uh, a, a video of the Goldilocks approach to the records that we did. Right, Jen? It was great. There's one that was too shallow. There was one that is uh, very, very too deep, and it stretched and it exploded. It tore apart. And then there is, of course, the just right. And again, this is on Shop Small Saturday, the Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. We'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go to cleveroctopus.org or krcl.org to find a link to sign up. And it supports two nonprofits, Clever Octopus and KRCL. What could be better, Jen? Come on out and see us. It's going to be so ridiculously much fun. Hey, thanks, Jen. We'll see you on the 27th. See ya. And now another nonprofit focus here, Al. Uh, Nuzzles and Company Pet Rescue and Adoption in Summit County reached out and said, hey, we have a couple farm animals that need to be rehomed. They're a no-kill shelter, though, Al, so no eating these pigs that we're about to learn about with Victoria Kokelbeck. Hey, Victoria. Hey, thanks for having us on, you guys. Al, have you ever thought about adding a pig to the, uh, to the punk rock farmer urban farm? Boy, I wish I had room. My backyard, I'm not sure, with the chickens in the big garden is a little bit, I'd love to have a pig. You don't, you don't even go there. I would love to have a pig. Well, Victoria, give us the basic 101 on Nuzzles and Co. and then who you need help reho- rehoming. Sure. Yeah. So Nuzzles and Co. We are pet rescue and adoption. Um, so we save the most vulnerable animals in our area. Um, those who are next to be euthanized, um, those who need behavioral support or training support. Um, and we do the full spectrum of rehabilitation and we find them a forever home. Um, so our farm animal program specifically has just taken off. It started last spring Um, And out of all of the animals that we took in, uh, we have three left. So we have three piggies, um, two potbelly pigs, and then one very large, uh, what we're calling a farm pig. Um, And her name is Molly Moo. She is so sassy and cool. Um, We got Molly Moo because a sweet lady 
was actually scammed into purchasing a teacup pig. Um, and now Molly is nearing 800 pounds, um, very much not a teacup pig. Um, and she is so happy here. She did not have enough space, um, but really all I need is like a nice little backyard area, similar to like what you might need for a dog. Um, and they are just wonderful creatures. And Molly Moo is bonded to our little potbelly pig, Liam. Liam's in love with Molly. Uh, he frequently sneaks out to go see her if they're separated for even a moment. So that's a little bit about them. Okay, so you have a ranch, though, that your animals are on. Tell us how big it is. Yeah, yeah, our ranch is huge. Um, so it's the center of our operation. So we have three transport vehicles right now. Um, I'm trying to figure out how many acres we have. I believe it's at least 50. Um, but we're located over by Browns Canyon and we have a huge agility yard, a giant farm area that's all fenced in and has some shade enclosures um, to keep them warm and keep them cool in the summer. Um, and we also have a location at the Tanger Outlets, which our farm animals do not go to since it's smaller. Um, and that is just a little closer for some of our Salt Lake friends. So you have lots of dogs and cats, I'm guessing, and these three pigs. You had a donkey for a while. We did. Yeah. Leroy was our guardian animal. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with how, you know, the farm animals typically work, but uh, donkeys are really useful to keep away predators and just keep the whole team safe because they're very loud. They'll alert if something's happening. Um, but Leroy just found his home and he went to a ranch nearby. So we still get to visit him and make sure he's doing great. And it's awesome. Hey, Al, I saw a news story this morning as I was getting up that said the Humane Society down here in Salt Lake is getting a lot of animals just dropped off, just dropped off. And I think that folks got comfort animals during the pandemic, and now it's not quite working out. Are you seeing that happen with Nuzzles & Co. and the, the animals that are getting uh, sent to your organization? Um, you know, we, we have definitely seen that. Um, I think... It's just kind of symptomatic of, like you said, everybody getting a comfort animal and then realizing the economic impact that's going to have on your life. But um, we actually have a great program that combats that. It's called the Pop-Up Pet Pantry. Um, and that's quite a mouthful to say, but we basically set up in different areas around uh, the greater Salt Lake region and we just hand out free stuff. Um, so we hand out a lot of um, free cat food, free dog food, and any supplies that we have excess here. So stuff that we don't need for our own animals. Um, and that has given us a lot of freedom and ability to enable these people to keep their animals and keep them happy and healthy. So Al, there's gotta be an urban farm or two, maybe a straight up farm somewhere along the Wasatch that could take in Molly Moo and Liam, maybe that other uh, potbelly pig too. What are the, what do you gotta do to, to do that? Um, if you're interested in adopting one of our farm animals, please just email us at adopt at nuzzlesandco.org, and we will make sure that you guys are set up. We'll talk to you about your space and what you have available. Um, and if you're out of state and you want to adopt these animals, that's totally fine. Uh, you just need a month in advance to make sure that they are clear on their health records, and our vet does an amazing job making sure that you guys are just clean bill of health, or if there's anything going on, um, you have a full understanding of that and are prepared for the future with your animal. 
I got to see this pig. Please send us a photo. You got it. I'll send you all three. So <laughs> you know, maybe we've had, we have a friend who has a, uh, has a rescue farm here in Salt Lake. Maybe I can, maybe I can ask her uh, at the stable place, Jamie oh, yeah. over there. And uh, they, they take in abused horses and neglected animals and uh, maybe she's got room for a pig over there. We'll see. I'll ask her. For a giant teacup pig. Molly <laughs> Moo. So what is yeah. the website where folks can catch up with you, especially as Giving Tuesday comes around next week and there's a spotlight on giving to local nonprofits? Well, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Nuzzlesandco.org is our website. Um, I'm Victoria. So if you ever want to reach out to me directly, feel free. I love getting calls. So Giving Tuesday is going to be a great event. Um, we just got done with Live PC, Give PC, and we are just humbled by the support from our community. So we're really excited to see what results from Tuesday. Nuzzlesandco.org. Spell that all out. We'll put a link in the show notes. Thanks, Victoria. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having us. Al, it's time to go canning. Anna Cash is with us today, and uh, Anna is the smart home canner. And she's on Instagram. You can see she posts all the time. She's always putting something up, lots of jams and jellies and all the good stuff. Um, how you doing, Anna? You have exciting stuff on the horizon. I do. I, um, I've been busy. I thought once the summer was over that <laughs> I would be chilled out, but um, I decided to put together a digital canning course for people that don't live in my area and can't take a course from me in person. Tell us a little bit about it. What's, how, how did you guys do it? It was a, you filmed it obviously. Yeah, we, I hired a professional videographer at first. I was silly and thought I could just do it all myself. But as you know, sometimes it pays to pay a professional. I mean, it's just so much better. Um, so I had a, I paid a woman to create the PDF files that will go along with the video course. Um, there will be five sections, uh, the most commonly canned items and preserved items. Um, so there will be a jam section, tomatoes, um, dehydrating. I mean, all of these things that, that I get calls about all summer long. <laughs> You've obviously put up a bunch of stuff. This year was a really, it was a pretty good harvest year. I saw you had, you had some trouble with water and stuff, but I think everybody was really, had a lot of extra produce this year. I know in our area, and I'm so I'm, I'm sure you probably are going to get a lot of response. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I, I think people when they garden usually have some excess and they don't know what to do with it or they're unsure. They want to make sure it's preserved safely. And I hope that this course will help alleviate some of that stress and worry. Well, then you can awesome. also plan your garden over the winter as you gain this new skill. Like, OK, I want to plant X, Y, Z because I want to can it and have it next winter. That's a great way to spend your winter planning. Yes, and that's exactly right, Laura. So what's the website where folks can check you out? Smarthomecanning.com. And I have one more question, Al, for Anna, since we're sliding towards Thanksgiving. What's your side dish, your go-to side dish out of the garden? Ooh, um, you know, I just always do a pepper jelly with cream cheese and crackers, like on a charcuterie board. Um, I had tons of jalapenos this year. Um, so I am doing a jalapeno pepper jelly. I'm also combining it with cranberries and doing a cranberry jalapeno jelly. So 
mouth-watering because I'm hungry right now. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me on. So, Al, what's your side dish? What are you planning on for the Punk Rock Farmer Thanksgiving table? Um, You know, my sister makes this uh, cranberry mold that I, I love, and I think I'm going to make it. It's kind of whippy and kind of whipped creamy, and it's really good. That sounds tasty. Stick around. We got Bob Quinn coming up for the Urban Farm Report, but let's get one more song from our featured band tonight, Racist Kramer, which will be holding its Friends Miss December 10th at Urban Lounge. Tell us about Simone and let's hear it. <clears throat> yeah, Simone. Um, so my drummer, Jared McKay, but he goes by Cheech, Jared Cheech McKay, who speaks fluent Spanish, uh, you know, has deep roots in the Mexican community. We sat down and Honestly, our, our stupid name gets misunderstood a lot. So it was important for us to have like, let's, let's talk about that and let's, let's direct that or let's, let's, uh, let's address that. And so we wanted to have a song that was clearly these guys aren't racist, you know, so that this is sort of a commentary on the situation of the border and, and how we view immigrants. And, you know, we have a lot of uh, Mexican punk rockers that come out to our show, you know, and it never ceases to amaze me because, we we love having like a different cultural cultural dynamic at our shows and we hope that our stupid name doesn't hit someone in the face and they take it so seriously and get offended by it so the more content out there that we can steer away from that because it it has it's a double-edged sword you know people never forget our name but there's a lot of people that jump to a conclusion about it and so it's it's good to kind of talk about the elephant in the room in this song but for all, all of our Mexican homies. This one is Simone by Racist Kramer, fresh and homegrown in KRCL 90.9 FM.
you can't go home. Salt Lake County Parks and Rec needs lifeguards, and you can try it out November 20th and December 11th during Just Try It Lifeguarding events. Open to folks ages 14 and up. More details at bit.ly slash guard. Thanks to George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation for investing in KRCL and communities throughout Utah. Welcome back to Radioactive Punk Rock Farmer Friday. I'm Laura Jones, and it's time for Al's Urban Farm Report. Al Dine, introduce your special guest, and let's do this. I'm excited today because we have someone from a little bit far away, not too far away, Big Sandy, Montana. Bob Quinn is with us. And uh, Bob, how are you doing today? Well, great, Al. It's great to be back on your show and um, and, and and get a chance to visit. Uh, I'm still looking forward to your visit up to Montana, but uh, um, it's nice to at least uh, have the opportunity to talk. For sure. I mean, strange times, Bob. It's been kind of kind of weird since the last time I saw you. Um, it was at the conference here two years ago, which is just about how long we've been in this crazy pandemic and how it's changed our lives. And, uh, you know, I think I, obviously organics and the business of feeding people is probably more important now than ever. And I, I know a lot of people were interested in it last year and a lot of people started gardening and this and that. But and um, recently you started to travel a little bit and I know you did some some uh, traveling with rel- for relatives, but you're thinking about doing some stuff where you're going to go speak now, and you're going to maybe participate in some conferences. Is that is that what you're thinking? Well, actually, I've already started that. I went um, last month. I went back to uh, Philadelphia for the, the um, Expo uh, National Food Expo East. It's the first time they had got together since um, they canceled the March of two of 2020. So that was fun. It was um, probably, oh, I don't know, a third or a half smaller than normal, but the people there were thrilled to be together um, and excited to uh, uh, continue um, making connections and uh, doing business and uh, making new plans. So that was fun. And a few weeks ago, I was down at uh, Dallas for the Wise Traditions um, Duesne Price uh, annual meeting. And they asked me to give a couple of talks on the uh, financial viability of organic was one of them. And, and the research that we have done comparing ancient wheat and modern wheat. And we have about 35 papers published now in peer reviewed journal articles. And I concentrated on those for my second talk. All right, cool. Are, are you, aren't you headed out somewhere tomorrow? Well, tomorrow, I'm just going across the state tomorrow. So it's not a big, uh, I'm delivering some oil. We, we uh, are still doing Ohio Lake safflower here in the farm. And so I'm delivering uh, a load of that to Missoula to, a, in this case, not to someone who's going to eat it, but a cosmetics company, um, Day Spa, that's going to turn it into uh, soaps and um, massage oils and all kinds of great stuff for your skin. Well, how about let's talk a little bit about come up because we wouldn't we wouldn't have we wouldn't touch the whole base unless we talked to Bob about Kamut. So tell folks a little bit about ancient grains, Bob, and, and the benefits. All right. Well, Kamut uh, Kamut is actually a, a trademark. It's not the name of the grain. It's a trademark we use to make certain guarantees about an ancient course on wheat that we've been growing for about 35 years. And the guarantees that we make that it's always grown organically. It's always um, pure. It's not mixed with any modern wheat or been hybridized or changed in any way from the way we found it. 
um, 50 years ago, and the way it's probably been for 10,000 years, who knows how long exactly. But um, it also we also guaranteed that it's high protein and high in selenium. So there's a lot of health benefits uh, that are inherently uh, part of it. And um, we grow this grain in Montana, Alberta, Saskatchewan, mostly. Um, it grows best where Durham grows best. Um, it has a low yield potential, so we don't have a lot of it under irrigation. It has some drought resistance, which was handy this year because we had a terrible drought. And um, uh, so that it is good for dry land agriculture. Um, it has a nice flavor. Um, the, the seeds are about three times the size of normal wheat, but the best part is that it's it, for people, well, for everybody, it's, it's um, uh, anti-inflammatory. So if you have any chronic diseases, such as uh, diabetes or heart disease or um, inflammatory bowel syndrome or liver, non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome, uh, things like that, our research has shown that it, it uh, produces a lot of improvement for people with those um, maladies. Is there is there a reduced effect for folks that are um, gluten uh, intolerant is from this wheat? I, well, you have to be careful with terms okay. <laughs> with that subject. Um, gluten intolerance technically is celiac disease. Um, uh -huh. There's no tolerance for gluten at all. And that's about 1% of the population. And those folks, uh, some of them are so sensitive that even dust from modern wheat um, uh, contaminating the ancient grains would be enough to make them sick, violently ill. Some of them, it's life and death. So we do not encourage um, celiac people to um, eat this grain, even though some have told us they can, but we don't, um, we don't recommend that at all. But for the 12 to 20% of the population that has some sort of wheat sensitivities, and that um, incorporates just all kinds of, of um, problems like bloating or rashes or uh, headaches or brain fog or all, all this kind of stuff that people have when they eat wheat. Um, at least a 20% of the population has. And about 85 to 90% or more sometimes of those people are able to enjoy the Kamut um, uh, wheat products uh, without any problem at all. And many of them are able to enjoy other heirloom wheats or other ancient grains too without uh, trouble. When you say ancient grain, what's the number on that? How many years is it? <laughs> well, there's no years actually. <laughs> Um, so I have my own definition, I think, uh, and it, it's pretty loose. So I, I'm saying ancient grains are from ancient civilizations. So if this grain was uh, back in the time of the ancient Romans or Greeks or uh, the Egyptians, uh, Babylonians, um, then it's ancient. Um, and things that are heirloom, I'd say things that we've enjoyed in, in the last hundred, couple hundred years, up to say World War II, when, when breeding programs really took off and started changing a lot of the um, uh, native grains or native plants that uh, in order to have higher yields and um, all this other stuff. Wheat was changed quite dramatically. And that's what those changes in the, while they were breeding, it was completely unintentional. But I think the particularly making the grain, uh, making the gluten so that you have high rising bread or, or, or large loaf volumes being created by breeding programs, that's probably changed the gluten. And that probably gives people more trouble than anything, makes it harder to digest. Great, Bob, that's great information. Good stuff. Um, What's the, um, oh, do you want to go, Laura? Go sure, ahead. Sure, sure. 
So we're talking with Bob Quinn, uh, king of Kamut, out of Big Sandy, Montana. And I was just looking for news on you recently and came across the articles in October by Emily Stifler, Emily Stifler Wolf, Building on Soil in Big Sandy with Montana Free Press, and uh, talking about climate change and how 25,000 ag jobs in Montana are threatened with what's happening. And you report that you're on your research plot. You only averaged around 20% of normal, and the grasshoppers, they had a buffet this year. So tell they us did. about this the growing is, season. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the second year in a row for uh, grasshopper um, infestation, and it was uh, it was serious. Um, last year, they didn't show up until the last week in July, and they ate everything that was still green at that point. Wow. And so some things we'd already harvested, like our garlic and, and some of our grains, um, were drying out and were, were past green. And so they didn't bother those as bad, but they stayed until the middle of September, laid their eggs, and then they disappeared. And this year, they hatched out um, locally. So they started munching away in mid-May, and they stayed until the middle of August. So they ate the other half of the season. They ate the first part of the season. And along with this, we were still having a terrible drought those two years, and that was compounding the problem. Usually we have drought and grasshoppers go hand in hand. Um, If it's hot and dry, there's no mortality when they're hatching. If we have some cool, damp weather and rainy uh, weather that we normally would have in April and May when they're hatching, that really um, uh, affects them, they, they get diseases, they can't eat, and they, uh, the numbers really go down. That didn't happen uh, the last two years. And so we're hoping, we're hoping it'll happen this coming year. My gosh, um, uh, two, two years in a row is enough, and we're really looking forward to 2022 as being something better. Hopefully, you had to let a lot of stuff go because of what the grasshoppers ate. But I understand that, like the safflower, you're able to harvest the seed pods, so there is a crop there, just not what you expected. Yes, safflower is probably like most of the other crops in north central Montana. We lost about, <clears throat> and most farmers lost about half. In some areas of the state, uh, more in the northeast corner, they lost, some of them lost 100%. They didn't even get their combines out of the shed. Wow. But, but those that did have a harvest, most, uh, it was, they'd be lucky if they had half of a normal crop. But some things on my dryland experiments, like my dryland potatoes, for instance, we had only about 20%, as you mentioned earlier, um, of those. um, After the grasshoppers left in uh, the middle of August, my tomatoes really took off and they they produced, uh, we had several hundred pounds of tomatoes and and they were late. So we lost a lot of them because they're too late uh, when the first frost hit. But um, they took off. The, I had a good beet crop uh, for, for canning. Your last guest was talking about that. And so we love making pickled beets and, um, and having a lot of beets. But they ate my carrots up completely. So the grasshoppers are picky. They have their, <laughs> their rotation, that the things that they eat first. They ate my, they ate my garlic first. I was surprised about that. They started on my onions. They, they completely wiped out the carrots. But the uh, tomatoes they left, uh, some the squash was still not eaten, although it was eaten the year before because it was the only thing there. Um, uh, they destroyed my sour cherry crop this year. They destroyed my grapes. Um, and most of the berry bushes uh, were destroyed on our little orchard, the experimental orchard we have. All right, you're, oh, you're killing me. You're killing me. And I, 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 I want to come see something before, well, there's something still left. So what's the best time for me and Al to make a road trip up to see you? 
well, what do you like to see and what do you like to eat? Um, <laughs> as soon as spring comes or, well, early summer, we start eating out of our garden. So my, my goal at my farm now is to grow everything I eat and eat everything I grow. And so uh, if you like it fresh, come from the middle of June on, you're going to be served um, sourdough pancakes for breakfast and then uh, eat fresh out of the garden the rest of the day. <laughs> okay, man, that, we're, we're doing that it. That sounds wonderful, Bob. Boy, that's really disheartening, but that's the life of a farmer, isn't it? It's kind of, Laura said, oh. it's like a, like a crapshoot. It's a gamble every year, isn't it? Biggest that's gamble. Right. That's right. And that really uh, brings out the importance of having more than just one crop. You know, if you're monoculture and you just have one crop and it's wiped out, you're done. And if you've got oh six or eight crops like we do, um, something is going to have a harvest of some sort. And right. uh, you might lose 100% of some, but others that are completely different type of crops are going to survive and you're going to have something. And of course, we try to have, you know, some leftover from the year before, um, keep a year you know, supply of some things like grains for sure uh, on stock. And so that we have things that we can um, survive on if it comes to that. And we try to encourage other people to do the same. Bob, what's the what's the pulse on organics in the last couple of years here since we've gone into this crazy time? Well, it's right now the fastest growing segment of uh, agriculture in America. It's really, it was the growth, it was still growing, but the growth rate was declining a little bit, uh, went below 10% or maybe below eight even. Uh, but now it's, it's over 10% since so the double digits again. Uh, the US um, total of organics uh, being sold in the marketplace is uh, right at 6%. So 6% of all the food in America is organic now. Uh, we're really excited about that. At the current rate of growth, and another, you know, it took 35 years to go from about zero to six, and now the current rate of growth in another 35 years will be 100% organic, and that'll be a boon to those that are needing some relief from chemical uh, pesticide contamination. You know, there's no question that we're putting poisons everywhere. And now we have Roundup in our rain. And we have glyphosate comes down in the rain in our farm, even though we've never sprayed it. We went organic before Roundup came on the market, but yet we have it in our soil because of the rain. And we've, we measured it in the rain. We've, this is the third year we've been measuring and trying to understand what's going on. And the only way that's gonna be eliminated is have an alternative to that. And organic is the best, regenerative organic is the best alternative that I know of. And I think it can work all over. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes to this Montana Free Press series that features oh, Bob. Thank you. It says in the article, Bob, that in 2021, the federal farm bill set aside $25 million in USDA funding for organic research. And by 2030, that number will cap out at $50 million. So it seems like the feds are getting it to some degree, but a drop in the bucket. They, they are. They are. And let me put a little post um, a PS on that, because um, even though it's doubling and it's really a fantastic thing they, they came from zero also a few years ago but still it's it's not much different it's not much more than one percent of the total usda budget and yet the total in the market is six percent and so what i've been trying to promote is why can't we uh, encourage usda to spend um the same percent on their research as they as the market is asking for ah, in production tie it that's what tie I it like to that to so it's so it yes, will grow. Yeah. It'll grow as well and, and feed itself. That's that's a great idea. So everybody, write your lawmakers. Bob Quinn said so. That's right. And because <laughs> we are you know short, we're short of organic food in America and we're importing a lot. And our own farmers could be realizing, uh, you know, the, the premiums of well, the spring wheat right now is selling for twenty dollars a bushel. Um, uh, non-organic 
spring wheat is around six or seven. And so there's a huge, huge difference. And um, if many farmers don't know where to start and how to convert and, and, and are afraid of solving problems that they see around in some organic operations. And that's what the importance of why research is so important and are why you, we can really use it. What's going to be on your Thanksgiving table that you can't do without, Bob? <laughs> well, my favorite is uh, my sweet uh, squash sweet potato um, substitute. So I substitute squash, um, my um, delicata and carnival squash are the sweetest squash we grow. They're as sweet as a sweet potato. And we make a big casserole out of that. You know, your regular sweet potato dish that a lot of people put marshmallows on. Well, ours is so sweet, you don't need marshmallows. And uh, we put uh, pecans on it and um, you can have it as a pie, but there's no pie crust. So that's my favorite on our Thanksgiving table. Can we have the recipe? Why, sure. <laughs> All right. You send that to Al. We'll put it in the show notes because I'm looking for an alternative. Both Al and I, I haven't talked about it as much on the show as, as Al, you've referenced it before. As you know, you get older, you got to watch the health and you got to make those substitutes. So I'd appreciate that recipe. Well, it's a lot of fun and it's very tasty. You will love it. <laughs> I have a I have a 15 pound Hubbard squash from the garden. I think I can make a, a pretty good size casserole. How do you open that? You got to get an ax and swing. <laughs> <laughs> so are you going to well, come down to the uh, Utah Farm and Food Conference in 2022 by chance, Bob? Well, I hope so. I haven't talked to the folks down there at um, Red Acre um, Farms yet about what they're planning, but um, I heard that it was scheduled and I'm, I'm hoping to be able to, um, to show up. I sure enjoyed meeting you folks there a couple of years ago. Yes, it was. It was great to meet you, Bob, and great to keep in touch with you, too. Um, you know, the importance of organics, it's not going to go away, and it's only going to get more and more and get better. And it's its great talking to you. Well, thank you. You know, one thing that also we see, so we've seen in this pandemic uh, that we've never seen before, a lot of people saw some of their store shelves uh, go empty. And to me, that really uh, shouts out the importance of local uh, food supplies and getting your food um, closer, raised closer to home and closer to the markets. And I'm hoping that there will be a big push now for uh, more local production, uh, hopefully organic, but at least get it local to start with and um, and eat closer to home and, and shorten those food uh, supply lines because um, they're delicate and we saw them, we saw them, uh, not be sufficient this last year. Well, we need a new name for them. Not just victory gardens, not just survival of the human race gardens. I'm thinking, how about Bob Quinn gardens? We'll just, you oh, know, something, know. something positive. Something positive. <laughs> just the local garden. <laughs> community garden, the neighborhood garden. I you like got that. it. You got it. Well, is there a website where we can uh, shout out to folks so they can catch up with what you're doing? Well, we have uh, Instagram. I try to make a post on a couple of times a week. We're working on a subterranean greenhouse now that I've been posting about. It's kind of fun. It's just, if you go to Bob Quinn, organic farmer, you'll find me. We need to go and see the subterranean. I forgot about that from our last conversation, Al. Okay, road trip. We're road tripping so, next summer. Greenhouse or it's more of an orchard slash greenhouse. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> I Instead of going to Arizona, for the winter, I'm planning to bring a little Arizona to me. And this greenhouse is about um, four to five feet below the surface, the, the, the floor of it is. And then it has a uh, about a seven foot top on it. That uh, gives me about 12 feet, 12 to 14 feet of, of growing area. And I'm planning to plant um, uh, citrus, all kinds of citrus, um, 
uh, oranges and um, lemons and limes. And I also like to try some avocados and, and olives and um, pomegranates. And then I'll have a room that'll be a little bit cooler. And that room will never freeze. The citrus room will never freeze. And then I'll have a room that will freeze so we can um, you know, keep up with uh, my good friends in Utah and, and plant our own peaches and uh, sweet cherries and, and uh, apricots and things that we just, uh, you know, we're just jealous about you guys down there <laughs> that you can grow that we can't grow. So anyway, I'm, I'm planning to do a little of that too. So when you come up, we just you know, should have some on the show. We just finished planting or just finished pouring the last of the cement uh, for the tops of it um, Monday. Uh, we'll be putting the top on next week, I hope. And um, there's no storms in sight. We're have, we had a really a easy fall, a long fall, long, long fall. So far, we've had an easy winter. And um, it's cooling down. It's, it's, it's not very warm anymore, but there's no blizzards. So we're hoping to get it covered and, um, and some experiments going this winter, see what we can see. Well, that's awesome, Bob. Good luck to you on that one. Great to talk to you today. Yeah, really Thank good you. to see you. Take care. Have a great holiday. Our best to your family. Yeah, same to all of you guys and all your listeners. Um, happy Thanksgiving. And we're out. That's great. Thanks, Bob. I, I'm serious, Al. we got to go up there. I, I'm, I've got a plan to do residencies with um, regional public radio for a week. So we'll make it happen one way or the other. We'll see you in, the, in 2022, Bob. All right. Great. And that's Bob Quinn. Check tonight's show notes for a link, folks. It's well worth your while. Okay, let's close the show with one more song. We have CJ and Grayson here from Racist Kramer. So one more time, guys, tell us about the event. Yeah, so again, it's December 10th, uh, Urban Lounge. It's a benefit show for Utah Domestic Violence uh, Coalition. We play a bunch of punk rock covers. We've got four bands, a couple of acoustic acts, and then a bunch of raffles, all of which that money goes directly to our uh, our charity that we've chosen. Uh, we're super excited about it. We hope everybody comes out and has a great time. It is also a free show. So it's donations at the door, folks. Be generous. What's the website where folks can uh, learn more about that, but also pick up In Redemption, the new album you put out in July? Yeah, we have a, re a website, racistkramer.com, where you can order merch. You can uh, figure out a little bit more about the event. Uh, our Instagram is probably the best place for us as well. Uh, slash, is it R RKSLC, CJ? I think so. And yeah. I just wanted to say, uh, so that we, we have a lot of prizes that you can win. I think we're going to do, uh, what is it, usually $10 raffle tickets. And then um, all through the night, we do, you know, the the – cash marker as it goes up and we try to hit that marker and get everyone stoked about it and this year you can win everything from like a snowboard to skis to a wakeboard concert tickets usually uh a lot of local restaurants always end up giving us like great uh gift cards so there's there's going to be something to win even if you end up buying one raffle ticket but well you know since it's for such a great cause yeah kudos to uh, everybody in racist kramer putting on this for 10 years al 10 years friends miss yes wonderful cause yes wonderful cause great i'm so proud of you guys i'm happy to have you guys on this one is one more day from racist kramer fresh and homegrown on krcl 90.9 fm
Hey, it's Lara from Radioactive, inviting you to join me and stretch a record or two at Clever Octopus Creative Reuse Center on Saturday, November 27th. It's Shop Small Business Saturday, and you can sign up for a workshop spot or just drop in at 2250 South West Temple from 1 to 4. But you're guaranteed a spot when you register at cleveroctopus.org. No decent or playable records hurt in the making of this workshop.